Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 10. We're continuing our way through the text. Peter has been called to share the gospel with one Cornelius. We've seen a lot about this man, Cornelius, and we've seen a lot about Peter and uh, the struggle that it was for Peter to go and to see Cornelius. And now these two individuals are meeting for the first time. And we're going to see what's going to happen with all of that this morning. I, uh, I just want to draw your attention. Uh, Dustin stopped at verse 45. I, I, I feel, though, this morning that it's important for you to see the conclusion. So I just want to reread this last little bit of it to you. And then we'll pray and we will, we will get to work. In verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, while Peter is still preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, notice this word, even on the Gentiles. They were amazed because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. That, that surprised them. They didn't see that coming. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's bow and pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father, we just say thank you for your word to us. We say thank you, Lord, uh, for the the shepherding touch that you exercise in our lives. Lord, we're reminded this morning of Psalm 23. You, Lord, are our shepherd. You lead us into green pastures and you make us to lie down beside still waters. Father, our prayer this morning is that as we look to you, our shepherd, that we would learn to rejoice in your rod and in your staff as you use those instruments to sometimes chastise us, but most of the time to gently pull us where we need to go. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here this morning who struggle under your correction, that you would show them that the blessing is ultimately for them if they would trust and obey. So God, we pray you do that work in our hearts this morning. Please illuminate the scripture before us, open us to see and to understand. And Lord, we pray you transform us by what you say. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Many years ago, when I first moved to Kamloops, coming up from Texas, uh, there was a fellow that I encountered almost my first week here. It was either my first week or my second week. I can't remember exactly when. And I shared the gospel with this individual, and he, he became a Christian. He decided to trust in the Lord, and he got saved. And we went through the process of initial discipleship. We explained baptism to him. He got baptized, and he plugged in, started attending a small group Bible study, and he began to get discipled, and it was wonderful. It was, it was really an encouraging start to my time in Canada. And I'll never forget, there was this one Bible study in particular. This individual was a reporter. At that time, he's since moved on to other, other places. But at that time, he was a reporter working for CFJC TV News. He wasn't actually the guy that held the microphone that talked to the camera. He was the guy that ran the camera and drove the car. And he mentioned to me one evening in a Bible study, we were working our way through the book of James. And uh, I don't remember the exact passage now, but the discussion turned towards the topic of stealing. 
And he listened and we talked about how God gives us all property and we need to be respectful of other people's property and this idea of stewardship. We kind of talked it all through. And he listened and he listened and he listened and he said, you know, I have to ask you a question. And these are always fun questions when you get these questions. He says, in my particular place of employment, we are given in the vehicles that we drive around, they're CFJCTV news cars, we are given these vouchers for car washes. So we can go to the car wash and make sure after we've been out on the road doing our, our journalistic endeavors and reporting and all this, when we bring the vehicle back at the end of the day, we, we run it through the car wash so it looks nice and clean. He says, most everybody that I know doesn't actually do that. What we do instead is we take those vouchers and we keep them for ourselves and then we run our own personal cars through the car wash and we, we pay for it with a voucher. And he says, I know stealing is wrong, but everybody in the company does it. Can I still do it? <laughs> Don't you just love those questions from brand new believers? I know, I mean, I didn't know he did this. Like, this wasn't something he told me and I was like kind of hinting at it while I was doing the Bible study. I mean, we're just talking about theft and stealing and honoring the Lord. And then the Spirit works in his heart and convicts him. And he comes out and he, he outs himself from the very first moment. I know this is wrong, but can I still do it? So he, he already answered his question. He already knew the answer to what he was asking. And so it's one of those moments where you're like, well, you know it's wrong. You just said that. And you have to remind him and you have to, you have to walk him through it. But as he began to see the point of what the scriptures were calling him to, there was this moment in time in which he said, okay, you know, like I won't, I won't steal the car wash vouchers anymore. He was willing to obey, but it was begrudgingly. I know what God wants me to do. I know what he wants me to do. And I'm going to do it. His body is obeying, but his heart is not there. Now, this has happened to all of us. And what's interesting is, as we look at this text this morning, we see that the Apostle Peter, the leader of the church, first century church, Jerusalem, he struggles with the same things. And what God's going to show us this morning is that faith in him requires obedience that we do what he asks us to do even when our heart is not in it. And we trust him to change our heart when we obey in faith. Look at the text with me this morning. We're going to pick it up. Tale, uh, verse 23, it says he invited them in to be his guests. The next day, he rose and went away with them. Notice this, some of the brothers from Joppa go with him. That's an important detail. I want to highlight that for you because that's going to be crucial to next week's message when we get into chapter 11. Peter goes, he doesn't go solo with these Gentiles who have been sent to him from Cornelius, from Caesarea. He goes, but he takes some of the other brothers, Jewish believers, along with him. The text does mention that. Verse 24, on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, Peter is newly 
converted into this idea that it's okay for him to go and visit with Gentiles. He's, he's, a new, he's newly approached this idea. This is a new concept for him. It's not something that he's necessarily comfortable with yet, but he knows he has to do it. Well, he shows up. In his mind, he thinks, based on the message he's heard from the day before, he's going to meet with one man, a Cornelius, a centurion, and he shows up, and right off the bat, Cornelius says, great, I'm glad you're here. I've got my whole family and relatives and neighbors, and they're all inside. Come on in. You can imagine Peter's, uh, like, uh, his reluctance. Notice what he says. It says, when Peter, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So number one, all my friends are here, and I'm so glad you're here. And he gets down to worship him which, of course, Peter stops that right off the bat. This is not what you're supposed to do. We are followers of Christ. I'm, not, I'm just a man like you. That's what he says. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. So right off the bat, you can just appreciate the awkwardness that Peter is feeling in this situation. He's going to go and talk to these people. The Lord has commanded him to go. He knows who the Lord is. The Lord is telling Peter to go visit with these people. He goes to visit with them, and right off the bat, they're worshiping him And he knows that the Lord didn't send him there to have these people worship him. He's obviously sent them there, sent him there to have these people worship the Lord. And and so he says, no, you, you can't do that. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, okay, here's the deal. You guys know yourselves, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. That's his introduction. I mean, have you ever been to one of those parties where you met someone for the first time and their introduction just you weren't sure what to do with that? You go in, hi, I'm John, hi, I'm Josh, you're shaking hands and, and, and you're just sort of having this conversation and as you enter into this social gathering, somebody says something that you just, you're not entirely sure what to do with that. It happens to me quite quite regularly. Uh, last week, I was at a social event with uh, some friends, and I showed up early, and I was there, and there was another man that had shown up early, and so we're the only two guys that were there, and I went up, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Josh. He shared his name with me. We began to dialogue. I began to ask him what it was that he did for a living. That's what guys talk about. He asked me what it was that I did for a living. I'm a pastor. Oh. And, and up until this point, his language had been rather colorful, and he got super straight-laced at that point, you know. And uh, we began to converse. And uh, I asked him, I said, are you, are you religious? Are you spiritual? He said, I'm Christian. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And uh, I said, uh, well, tell me, what, what church do you go to? And he said, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. He said, I don't go to church. And he said, you know what? I don't even bother to read my Bible because... He says, I like to go out on Sunday morning, and I like to go for walks in the woods. And he says, I learned way more about God walking in the woods than I ever did listening to any preacher preach a sermon or anything I ever read in the Bible. Now, I've already told him what I do for a living. Is that a little awkward? (laughs) Peter walks in. Hi, Peter. I'm John, the Gentile. Hi, I'm Peter, the Jew, and I can't even lawfully be here next to you right now. Is that a little awkward? Yeah, it is. It is. 
but it's transparent. We've all been in those moments where we've encountered someone and we've shaken hands and we've been caught sideways by the way they introduced themselves or, or they did something that was sort of unusual. We weren't really sure how to respond. In this particular instance, as Peter is approaching this, one thing we need to be aware of is that these people want to know the Lord and the Lord is really having to work in Peter's life to get him over the hurdle of his preconceived notions of interactions as a Jew with Gentiles. So he starts off, he says, you know, it's not lawful for me to even be here. It's not lawful. Now, if one were to go back and carefully read the Old Testament and count up all of the different commands that one finds in the Old Testament, and numbers vary depending on what you consider to be a command or not. It fluctuates somewhere from 613 to 633 different commands in the Old Testament. If one goes back and reads all of those commands, nowhere, not one time, not once, does God absolutely forbid all contact with Gentiles. There are instances in which God calls for ritual purification. There are instances in which individuals might have interacted with dead bodies or been exposed to pathogens. God does speak to those issues, but not one time, not once, anywhere in the Old Testament, does God say it is against my law or against the Old Covenant for you to associate with Gentiles. Where did Peter hear this? Where did this come from? This was not the teaching of Scripture. This was the custom that the Jews had adopted over time as a result of their own idolatry and the fact that time and again they had drifted from the Lord and so that by the time Christ comes, the rabbis have risen to power, the Pharisees have come to power, and they have begun to add what is known as a hedge around the law. There's what God says, and in order to make sure we're obeying God, we're going to just build all of these additional requirements and all these additional rules and expectations around what God says just to make sure that we're obeying the Lord. When Peter says it is not lawful for me to be with Gentiles, he's just talked to the Lord. He's just had this vision in which the Lord has said, hey, go meet this Gentile. So when he says it's not lawful, he isn't referring to the command of the Lord because the Lord has just commanded him to go. He is referring instead to the traditions and the commandments of the Jewish nation, the Israelites and specifically the restrictions and the prohibitions that have been put forth by the Pharisees. According to man's custom, according to Jewish tradition, according to Israelite law, I shouldn't even be here right now. That's what he says. He goes on. He says, It is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but, look at this, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And we looked at that extensively last week. His conclusion is this. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? 
Cornelius responds, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now notice that. You have been kind enough to come. This is such polite discourse of the kind that we don't find really anywhere else in the Bible. Peter shows up. He says, hey, it's not even legal for me to be here. And Cornelius takes that to heart. He hears that comment. And then he says, hey, thank you so much for coming. It was kind of you to come. In this interaction, the preacher in me is wanting to step back and say, And also there were multiple visions and God ordered all of this to take place. And so why don't we all just give thanks to the Lord that we're here together today? Yes, Peter, it's kind for you to be here. Peter, that wasn't the best way to start off. He says to him, tell us now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter begins. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. He does not play favorites. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, And made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In this particular passage, what we see Peter doing is getting in line. He's getting in line. Every school year, we've done this two years in a row now, but starting of last year and then again the start of this year, one of the things we have to instill in the culture of our school here at First Baptist Classical Academy is straight lines. And we do this little chant. You say lines, and they say straight, silent, or I'm messing it up. Sprint straight, silent. In other words, run to get in line, sprint to get in line, make it straight, and then be quiet. Sprint straight, silent, and then they do a little clap. We say, line, sprint straight, silent, like that. And then they rush to get in line. And normally, I'm not really interacting with the students throughout the course of the day. I've got other work that I'm attending to. But on occasion, I'm walking through the building, and it'll be recess time, or it'll be lunchtime. They're going outside. And the teacher is there, lines, and they say, sprint straight, silent, and they clap. And then you look at the line, and they kind of meandered over, and it's like, you know, kind of like a curvy thing like this. And the reason why the teachers have them do this is because we need to get a head count. Right off the bat, we want to get a head count. We want to find how many students we have going outside, 
there are any students staying behind for extra work you know, in the teacher's classroom or whatever the case may be. We didn't know who was exactly going outside, so we can make sure that exact number comes back in after they've been outside to be accountable and responsible for all the students. The easiest way to do that is to have a straight line where you can just walk down the line and count. If the line goes like this, a teacher's having to like wade through this whole mess of people, right? And so very often what happens is I will come through, not, not just at the beginning of the school year. By the end of the school year, they're pros. But I'll come through, and the teacher will have said lines, and they, they chant the chant, sprint straight, silent, and then they're kind of just this hodgepodge of people. And this is where I come in as Pastor Josh, and I say, whoa, everybody, because the teacher's like trying to count, and they're kind of talking, and they're not silent, and they're in this like hodgepodge of people. And I say to them very honestly, that was terrible. You did that all wrong. And I ask, what does the word sprint mean? And nobody wants to raise their hand because nobody's in a straight line and nobody's silent. And those are the two that are coming next, right? So I say, try it again. Lines. Sprint, straight, straight. And then they get in a straight line. And I say, here's the secret to a line. When you're in a line, if you're a shorter person, I should not see you because you're right behind the person in front of you. If you're a taller person, I should see you, but I should only really see your head or whatever that portion is that's taller than the student in front of you. You should be right behind that person. Now, when you're standing at the front of the line and you ask all the students to chant or sound off or something like that, their voices are all in line right behind each other And it is amazing the amount of volume that just comes straight forward when you ask them to say something and they all sound off. In this particular passage, as Peter is preaching to Cornelius and all the relatives who are gathered there, what Peter is doing is getting in line behind God, behind Jesus, and behind the scriptures. And he's getting in line with regards to his own view about who exactly Lord, the Lord, is the Lord of. Is he the Lord of the Jewish nation only, or is he the Lord of everyone? I want to show this to you. Go back to the very beginning of the sermon. Verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That's where he starts off. I understand this now. This is a conviction. I get it. I believe it. Then he says, in every nation, Everywhere all over the world, not just in the Jewish nation, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So he says that. By way of introduction, I get it, that God is not partial, that he doesn't play favorites, that he is God over everyone, and anyone in every nation who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He goes forward. He says, as for the word that he sent to Israel... Now here Peter mentions that God spoke a word that he said it to Israel. What is that word? Preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. When did he send that word to Israel? Well, he sent that word to Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Multiple prophets rose up and bore witness to the coming Messiah. So what Peter is saying here is that God spoke. He made a statement. He sent a word to Israel. He's referring to all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the ones that predicted the coming of Christ. And then he talks about the coming of Christ. He sent word to Israel preaching the good news of peace 
that Jesus, through Jesus Christ, in my particular translation, there's a parenthesis, and it says, he is Lord of all. Peter kind of stops himself. God sent word to Israel that there would be peace through Jesus, and guess what? He is Lord of all, not just Lord of the Jews. He's emphasizing this. And then verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and the Holy Spirit with power, with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Notice that, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He goes on, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Now, no, no, this is where it gets different. Up until this point, God is Lord of all. God has uh, sent Jesus as peace for all. He is God of all the nations. God is not partial. Peter has been emphasizing this. But then he draws a distinction. He says, we are witnesses of all this. God raised him up. Verse 41, he made him to appear not to all the people, but to us. That's right, specific select group of individuals. He made him appear to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he appeared to us. We were chosen by God to do What? He has just said, God is Lord over everything. He has just said, God sent word to Israel that he would save everyone. He has just said, God's going to save everyone through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. He's emphasizing this over and over and over again. God wants to win the world to forgiveness and reconciliation with himself. Jesus was crucified, raised up, but he only appeared to a select group of people. Now notice this. God wants to save everyone, but the testimony of that salvation is given to a chosen group. How is God going to save everyone if the chosen group that he has appeared to, that he has commanded to testify to these things, doesn't want to go and talk to everyone. You see, even in the sermon that Peter is giving, when he starts off and he says, truly, I get it now, he is starting off from a place of confession and a place of contrition. Peter is saying at the get-go, I'm here to preach the gospel to you. But I couldn't even be here unless God had worked this understanding in my mind. Yes, of course, God wants the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. I was chosen as one of a handful to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what he's saying. He's acknowledging to Cornelius and all his household that this is for them. And his presence here is evidence that this is for them. He concludes, he has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him 
All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. Everyone. Peter is saying, the scriptures bear witness to this. God has spoken to this. Jesus has testified to this. We have been commanded to carry this to the ends of the earth. And anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus Christ can be saved. Now, Peter knows this. He knows it intellectually. He's been confronted by God in a vision. He's had this encounter arranged. Cornelius had a corresponding vision. These guys have come together. Peter has preached this sermon. All of these dots are connecting. But does he really rejoice in it in his heart? Not quite yet. Which brings us to the final paragraph, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, still talking, still going on, he's a preacher. You know, they keep talking even when they don't need to, when it's time to, oh, look, things are happening. Let's sit down and be quiet now. He's talking. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Notice what Luke is saying there. Everyone who heard the word. The author is stepping back. The narrator of the story is stepping back and saying, God's spirit fell on all the Gentiles that were gathered there. He wants to drive home that point that, yeah, they're accepted by the Lord. The spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 45, the believers from among the circumcised, remember Peter had gone down to Caesarea. He'd gone up to Caesarea from Joppa carrying a bunch of fellow Jewish Christians with him says the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46 describes a scene that is reminiscent of Pentecost way back in Acts chapter 2. says they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. They were amazed. They'd heard all about this vision. They'd heard Cornelius' side of the story. They'd heard Peter's sermon. The people who heard Peter's sermon believed and got saved, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And when they had seen all of this, the Scripture says they were still amazed. They didn't expect that this would actually happen. They didn't expect that God was going to actually save the Gentiles. So they're shocked. And look at what Peter says. Verse 47, Peter declares, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Now that question, think about it for a second. It assumes that what Peter wants to do is to baptize these guys. I want to baptize them. They look like they're legit Christians to me. But can anyone here among us who are followers of Christ object? Can anyone here among us say no to baptizing these guys? When Peter turns to ask these guys, why do you think he poses that question? I mean, if you're so sure of something, 
and you think this is just how it is supposed to be, then you just do it. But the guys that he's traveling with, the company that he is keeping, they weren't expecting this. When it happens, they're caught off guard. Peter now is moving to a place where he wants to follow through, do baptism. You see his heart is beginning to rejoice in this, but he is still caught up by the fact that the guys he is with, they may not be fully there. And so as he's wanting to move forward to do baptism, he stops himself, he turns to them, and he says, hey, look, they've got the Holy Spirit, same as us, Can anyone here withhold baptism? He's asking them if there's any further argument to be made for why we shouldn't be here, if there's any further argument to be made for why we shouldn't be baptizing these guys, if there's any objection, any reason for why we shouldn't be welcoming them as a part of our church, as a part of our spiritual family, as brothers and sisters, children of God, if anyone has anything to say, now is the time to say it. The way that Peter words the question, it assumes he's ready. He wants to do this. His heart is there. He doesn't have any doubts. He doesn't have any objections. And yet he is mindful of the company that he is with. Are they ready? Do they see it? Are they ready to agree to all that's about to happen? And the text says, basically, they didn't say anything. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. As we look at all of this, the point that you really need to draw from Peter's sermon is, number one, God is Lord of all. And number two, we are called to line up behind him. If God is Lord of all, and if the scriptures say over and over again, which they do, that God is not partial. Deuteronomy 10, 17, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God who is not partial and who takes no bribe. If the scriptures say this about the Lord, if he is not partial, then why are we partial? Second scripture, now then let the fear of the Lord be upon you. This is from Second Chronicles chapter 19. Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do. For there is no injustice with the Lord our God, for there is no partiality and there is no taking of bribes. In that particular passage, 2 Chronicles, the Bible says that when it comes to partiality, showing favoritism, playing favorites, that is a form of injustice. That is a form of inequality. And it's saying God is not an unjust God, that his desire is for all the world. Church, Do you rejoice in that? You see, we agree. We agree. God wants to save the world. We know that intellectually. But do we feel it in our hearts? When we hear that, do we hear God saying to us that there is a promise for blessing if we would go and carry the gospel to the ends of the earth? When we hear that, is the first thought on your mind, yes, God wants to be the Lord of not only my house, but my next door neighbor's house. As you hear that, do you think to yourself, when I leave here today, I want to go right across the street to my next door neighbor and ask him about his beliefs, tell him about Jesus, and invite him to church? Do you feel that pull? Peter had an opportunity to see something spectacular happen. He obeyed 
when he shows up, he says, it's not even lawful for me to be here. You see there's this reluctance, there's this hesitation on his part. When these guys get saved and he sees the miracle, he's all in. And he turns to his friends and he says, hey, you guys have any objections? Let's baptize them. What I fear is happening in many hearts, not in our church, but in every church, is that the preaching of the scriptures becomes an extremely academic undertaking in which you come to church and you hear me or Pastor Ryan or someone else open the scriptures, expound upon them for you, and you learn really interesting things, and you think, that was nice. He told a joke or two. I laughed. I had a good time. I said hello to my friends. You go home, and you miss the point that what God has just done is he has just blessed you so that you can be a blessing to those on your street, those in your office, the family members at your family reunion. See, God loves you, and he wants you to get in line behind him. And getting in line behind him and following him looks like him taking the gospel all over the world And if you are following him, if you are in line behind him, then you're going with him to take the gospel wherever you can take it. I sit here and I talk through all this stuff. You're like, "Uh uh-huh, it's very interesting. I'm following you all the way through. And then we come to that point where we have to say to ourselves, Peter stepped out in faith. His heart wasn't totally in it, but he obeyed. And in obedience, in the obedience of faith, then he got to witness the miracle. Then he got to see something spectacular. He didn't want to go into this house with a bunch of strange Gentiles that he'd never met before and all these cultural, all this cultural baggage and all this stuff hanging in the back of his mind about how unclean he would be if he walked into that home. He was feeling the same anxiety that all of us fear. If I go across the street and I knock on my neighbor's door, he might actually answer his door. Yeah, he probably will. And then what am I going to say? You're going to tell them about Jesus, all that the Lord has commanded you. No, I don't want to do that. Why? Well, because he might make fun of me. He might say no. He might not choose to worship the Lord. I might look like a fool. Over and over and over again, Our approach to our faith is one where we want God to bless us and we have a narrow, defined place of where we're comfortable and we just want everything to just line up in that comfortable spot. All the while, there is the promise of joy for us if we would just obey and deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. There is the promise of joy. It's really that last expression that I want to draw your attention to. 
What Peter is doing in this passage is he is entering into a situation that he's uncomfortable with as an act of obedience because God has called him to it. Put another way, he's taking up his cross and following Christ. When I say to you, when Jesus says to you that if you would follow after him, you must deny yourself and take up your cross, we have incredibly sanitized ideas about what that really means. For us, the cross is a nice wooden thing that hangs at the front of our sanctuary, or it might be a gold medallion we put on a chain and sling around our necks. But in the first century, the cross was an instrument of torture. I could just as easily say to you today, under contemporary sort of modern circumstances, if anyone would follow Jesus Christ, he needs to take up his electric chair and follow Jesus. Or I might say to you, if anyone would follow after Jesus Christ, he needs to take up his gas chamber and follow after Jesus. If you were to go out into a political rally, this is the season of political rallies, and you were to go to hear one of our candidates in the local riding, you know, cheering for their candidacy and their political platform, for example, if you were to go hear Kathy McLeod or Terry Lake as they're giving their campaign speech, their campaign speeches, and they were to say, now we're going to go and we're going to take back government and I want you to follow me quick, everyone put a noose around your neck. What would your response be to that? Uh, no, thanks, that's weird. No, I'm not going to put a noose around my neck. What do you want to do with a noose around my neck? And yet this is the call of Christ on all of us. When we hear that passage in Luke, in particular in Luke, where he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, we tend to think that what Jesus is calling us to is self-denial. In other words, what we tend to think that Jesus is calling us to is that we need to forsake this sort of thing and we need to start doing that sort of thing. But what Jesus is saying is not engage in a series of exchanges where you trade one thing for another thing. You say no to yourself having this and you say yes to yourself having this instead. What Jesus is saying is that you are to follow him. You're to do what he calls you to do And he's not calling you to self-denial. He's calling you to deny yourself. Literally what he's saying in that passage. And so many preachers hear that and they turn it to say, well, what he's calling us to is a lifestyle of sacrifice and self-denial, which is true, but misses the thrust of the text. Jesus is saying you deny yourself, which means the opinion that matters is not yours. It's his. The task that he wants done is the one that is most important. The message he calls to be proclaimed is the one we proclaim. It is not us engaging in a series of trade-offs. It is us saying, there is no us. We're in line behind Jesus. We are following Christ. Now you hear that and you're like, man, that's heavy. It was heavy. For him to say to anybody, take up your torture stick and follow me, that's a shocking statement. You look at Jesus carrying his cross. Did he make it all the way up Golgotha carrying his own cross? No, he didn't. As he was bearing the cross on his bruised, lacerated, beaten shoulders, the burden of it 
became too great. And he wasn't able to carry it all the way. He fell down on his face. There was a Roman centurion there, a soldier, who was leading the procession, and he stopped, and he called another man from the crowd, uh, a fellow by the name of Simon, and he ordered him to carry the cross in Jesus' place. As Jesus bore his cross, it brought him to the place of collapse where he could no longer make it in his own strength because he had completely spent himself. And such is the meaning, church, of denying yourself. It means that we are coming to a place where we say, I can't make it. I can't do this in my own strength. I can't do this on my own. The loneliness that I'm feeling, the misunderstanding that is often hurled in my direction, the pain of separation, all the tension, all the ostracism, all of the ridicule, I can't take it anymore. When we get to that place, just as Simon helped Jesus to bear his cross, we have one who helps us to bear our cross. And we have the Savior who walks with us. When he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is promising to walk there with us in the mix. He's promising to walk with you. The question is, are you really willing to trust in him and to walk with him wherever he calls, wherever he directs, into whatever circumstance he leads you? Bearing the cross of Christ is painful. It hurts. It breaks you down. But it leaves you with an incredible friend. You hear all this talk of bearing a cross and you think, I don't want that for myself. But just understand, you're saying no to the blessing of friendship with Christ because that's where he is. So as we conclude this morning, if you want to have life, real life, if you want to know the thrill of walking with Christ, it will lead you into those circumstances that you're not comfortable with. But it will also lead you closer to Jesus. Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, we just say thank you for this word. Lord, for Peter to go into this home, into this circumstance, to preach the gospel, it challenged him. Lord, we pray that you would continue to challenge us. Father, we all have hang-ups, we all have fears, we all have doubts about taking the good news of who you are to those around us. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would show us if we would obey in faith, there is the blessing of fellowship which follows. Fellowship with your son. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to walk with Jesus. We pray these things in Christ's name.
Amen.